Okay, so obviously we're in this big season of Lent, which is followed by another big season of Easter. So all told, it's, it's just short of 100 days, uh, these two big seasons that we're in. And of course, right in the middle of it is the celebration of Easter. But, but Easter, for us as, as Christians, uh, for us as Catholic Christians too, uh, is, is what? That it's not just a singular day, that there's actually a mystery surrounding it. That is something that comes before it and the celebration extends beyond just the one day. So at the heart of these two big seasons is what we call the Paschal Mystery. Um, the, the three days that we celebrate, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter, uh, Holy Saturday, which flows into Easter Sunday, these, these three days, we call them the Triduum, the Sacred Triduum. Um, and it's in these three days that we especially remember this thing that we call the Paschal Sacrifice. So the, Paschal, so the word Paschal, it comes from a Greek word that is Pascha, which just means Passover. This is a little bit tricky. So we, we're all probably very familiar with the word Passover and what that comes from, Exodus chapter 12. We'll hear about that on Holy Thursday. But, but uh, the, the word Paschal, it doesn't quite translate to say like, oh, that clearly connects with Passover. So anyway, that's what the word means. It means the Passover. Uh, and so, of course, for the people in the Old Testament, their Passover was when God commanded Moses to take a lamb and slaughter the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorposts and then to eat the flesh of the lamb that night. And then in doing that, in fulfilling the requirements for the, Paschal, uh, the Passover meal, um, the Lord would pass over their houses and he would preserve them from experiencing the death of their firstborn son. So that's, that's what that is. And everyone else who didn't participate in this Passover meal, they were not preserved from the death of their firstborn son. So that's for, for the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, that's like the heart of their saving message, the heart of their salvation in, in a real way in the Old Testament. Now, we as, as Catholic Christians, we understand that Jesus is a new Passover lamb. In fact, we know that in the Gospel of John, we hear John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God. We hear him call that, called that the Lamb of God. So Jesus is a new Passover lamb. So when we're talking about the Paschal mystery, for us as Christians, we're talking about a new sacrifice of a new lamb, ultimately culminating in, in that, right? When Jesus is sacrificed on the cross. There's actually a, a really cool connection that at the, time of, um, at the time of Jesus, the people would bring their lambs because they would celebrate the, the, the Passover every year. They would bring their lambs to the temple where the priests in the temple would kill the lamb, slit the throat of the lamb, and all the blood would pour out. And then they would, of course, send the lamb. They would keep the blood and throw it against the altar. And they would send the lamb back home with the people who had brought it so that they could eat the flesh of the lamb. And when they would do this, they would take two rods, and one, they would go up the back side of the lamb, and the other, they would go across the shoulders of the lamb. So everyone was carrying around these, these dead lambs that looked like they had been crucified, ultimately. Which, so we see Jesus, who is the lamb of God, crucified. There's a connection there of these lambs who were killed for, for uh, the, the saving people, saving the people when they were in Egypt in, in, in slavery to the Egyptians, so now Jesus, who is killed, sacrificed, crucified for us to save us from death, to save us from spiritual slavery. That's, so that's at the heart of, of all of this. And when we talk about the Paschal Mystery, again, it's not limited to just the death of the Lamb. For us as Christians, our understanding of the Paschal Mystery, it includes the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and his ascension into heaven. That Jesus came down from, from heaven to earth, to fulfill all of this. So when he returns, it's like the completion of all of that. We'll talk more about that at the Ascension, which is like 
90 days from now. So you'll, we'll all forget all about this whole homily. Um, anyway, so that's, that's what's going on here. The Paschal mystery, the, the, death, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. St. Peter actually makes mention of this in our, our first or second reading, where he says, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit, right? So right there, he's already talking about the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then at the end of the reading, he talks about uh, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. So he's talking about the Paschal mystery, ultimately. And, and, and that's, that's a really cool thing, because um, at the heart of the Paschal mystery, so at the heart of Lent and Easter is the Paschal mystery, and at the heart of the Paschal mystery, so we're talking like the heart of all hearts here, is this covenant that God wants to establish with us. We hear this every Sunday when we come to Mass. We hear this if we come to Mass, every time we come to Mass. This is my blood of the new covenant that Jesus is establishing for us at the heart of the Paschal mystery. He's establishing a covenant. Now, what's a covenant? So this is, again, something that, it's a word that we're really familiar with, but we maybe don't fully understand what it means. Um, and, and we hear about covenants throughout the Old Testament. We heard about one in our gospel passage where, where God says, see, I am now establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. So God is establishing covenants. In fact, in the Old Testament, he establishes uh, five covenants, I believe. So one with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, which we'll hear about next week. A covenant with Moses and the entire Israelite people. We'll hear about that in two weeks. And then a covenant with David, so those five in the Old Testament. And what a covenant is, is it's, we could call it a sacred family bond. So when God establishes these covenants, it's like he's binding himself as like a family member to us. So you, you who are married, you, you know this, that, that when you entered into your marriages, you came before the church, before the community of God and before God, and you established this bond with each other by vowing yourselves to each other. I will be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. And you said that to each other. I, I bind myself to you so that what God binds up, it, it can't be separated. That's, that's what a covenant is. So when God is establishing a covenant with, with us as a community, that's what he's doing. He's like, he's standing before us and he's saying, I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. And of course, we know that God doesn't die. So when he establishes a covenant, the only thing that's going to bring an end to that covenant is if he establishes a new covenant with us. Otherwise, his covenants are everlasting. They go into eternity. So this is like incredible that God is he's claiming us as a family member. And he's saying, look, I'm going to stick with you. I'm, I'm binding myself to you. This is incredible. Now, some of, some of the covenants that God establishes there are conditions attached to this. You, you heard me talk about this when we talked about the Eucharist, that with covenants, there are sometimes conditions attached. For example, when God establishes his covenant with Adam, the one condition that he gives him is what? Is to follow this one law, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one condition. And so what we know that Adam ultimately breaks that condition, that he breaks covenant with God. Not that God breaks covenant with him, but that Adam breaks covenant with God. There's a covenant with, um, with Abraham, and the condition or the sign or the thing that he has to do to enter into that covenant is circumcision. 
that Abraham and all of the male descendants of his need to be circumcised. And that is the sign that they are in covenant, that they're in this binding relationship with God. And if they don't do that, that means they're not part of the covenant. The, the, the covenant with Moses, that he gives them the Ten Commandments. So by following these Ten Commandments, I'm giving you these as a sign of this covenant. But if you break them, it's not, it's not me, God is saying. It's not me who's breaking covenant with you, but it's you who are saying you don't want to be family with me. You're divorcing yourself from me, the Lord is saying. So there, there are these conditions. Now, what's fascinating about the covenant with, with Noah is that there are no conditions, actually. It's an unconditional covenant, which is kind of cool to think about, that, that God is no longer going to destroy the entire world by a flood. We can be confident of that because he has promised that. So that's, that's what's going on. So now, what when Jesus comes to establish a covenant with us, he gives us a way to enter into that covenant and he gives us conditions about remaining in that covenant. The way that we enter into that covenant is through baptism. What, how, what, what does that mean? In fact, Peter alludes to this in, in our reading, talking about the days of Noah and the ark and all these things and talking about the Paschal mystery. He says, this prefigured baptism, which saves you now. Baptism saves you. Why? Because it binds you up with Jesus. It makes this bond between you and Jesus where he says to you, I will be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and I will honor you all the days of my life. But, but then there are conditions, right? That how, how is it that I remain in covenant with him? Well, I, I need to receive the Eucharist. He says this, this is, take this and eat of it. This is my body. Take this and drink of it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. He says in the Gospel of John, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life within you. So he says this, that that this is one of the conditions of covenant. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So he lays out conditions for us so that once we enter into the covenant through baptism, then by following the conditions, the laws of that covenant, we can be confident actually that we are in this bond with God, with, with the Lord himself who will be faithful to us, who will love us, who will remember his promises to us. But if we break covenant with him, then that's going to be a big problem because it's not he who will be unfaithful to us, but it's we who are being unfaithful to him. It's we who are what? Divorcing ourselves from him. And so, so much of the Christian life, right? If this is at the heart of the Christian life, at the heart of the Paschal mystery, then This has got to be like what we live for because it's this covenant relationship that allows me to know that I am united with Jesus. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to live for this. So this this is why you guys, like this is why you hear me so many times talk about how like we have to come to Mass. This is why you hear me talk about how we have to follow the commandments. Not just because I like telling you what to do and not just because I'm, I'm overbearing, even though I know that I can be that way sometimes. It's because I know how incredibly important it is for us to remain faithful to the covenant that Jesus establishes because he's going to remain faithful. But if we are unfaithful, then we can't, we can't just presume on his mercy. We have to remain faithful. And if we are unfaithful, like this is part of the good news, actually, if we're unfaithful, then he actually gives us a tool that we can use so that we can come back into relationship with him. And that tool is the sacrament of reconciliation, where we come before him and we say, Jesus, I failed. I failed in my obligations towards you. 
Just like if you're married and you and your spouse are having a fight or an argument sometimes, sometimes after the fight, after the argument, hopefully every time after the fight, after the argument, you what? You have to come together and you have to say, you know what? I'm sorry. This is, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the sacrament of reconciliation is where Jesus gives us this instrument for us to come before him, even though it seems like, well, it seems like it's just this priest who is imperfect, who is, you know, whatever. He's got all of his, 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 his own sins to deal with. And that's true, that, that's true. But we, as, as, as Catholics, we believe that Jesus is there working in and through the priest so that when you come and repent of your sins, Yes, you're talking to the priest, but you're also, in a very real way, talking to Jesus. And Jesus, who is faithful to you, he's merciful. He forgives you, provided that you come to him. Like that's, so that's, that's like so much. So anyway, so I was thinking about this because, because I'm aware in my own life, and I'm aware in the lives of the people that I see that, that well, maybe, maybe in a couple of different things, maybe that we don't always know, like, what's the deal with all of this, or what am I supposed to do? Like, like I feel like I'm kind of aimless. And so maybe this can give you a little bit of aim just to understand that, that when you were baptized into your Catholic Christian faith, you were made like united with Jesus. And that union with him places you like into his life. And that's what life is all about. Like life is not about anything else except that. And so that's the kind of thing that you and I are made to live for. And if, if we have all kinds of other things going on in our lives, like none of that is supposed to ever overtake the primacy of this relationship that we have with him, this covenant relationship that we have with him. And so if there's anything in my life that, that threatens to take me away from that, I have to make the courageous and bold decision to say, I gotta let go of this thing because this is what's primary. And if I don't have this, then my life ultimately is a failure because I have proven to be unfaithful to the one who has come to, to bind himself to me. So I need to, I, need to, I need to pray for that. And I know that that can be hard, and that can be a really hard message to hear. It can be a really hard message. If you're not in the habit of coming to Mass on Sundays, it can be really hard to hear the priest say over and over and over and over again, you gotta come or else. I understand that that can be hard. And I can understand that there are lots of things that are attractive to us in life, whether that's sports or work or friends or traveling or whatever it is. I know that there are other things. Sometimes it's just simply like simply sleep can be more attractive than something like this. I know that that can be hard then to hear of like, well, Father, this is taking me away from my family or this is taking me away from my trip that I had planned or, or it's taking me away from my sports and I can't let my team down or whatever it is. Like, no, but, but this is primary and nothing can be more important than this. And if there is anything in our lives that is more important than this, then all that means is that we have allowed ourselves to have disordered desires in our minds and in our hearts. And we need to come back to the Lord. And that's what Lent is all about, is coming back to the Lord. And then on the other side of the spectrum is I might encounter all kinds of incredible suffering in my life. Health problems, family problems, relationship problems, work problems, school problems, friend problems. Like, I might have all kinds of problems in my life. But if in the midst of those problems, if I remain faithful to Jesus, then yes, these might still be really crummy. But they're not as crummy because I have Jesus. And when I have Jesus, I have confidence in a life after this life. And in that life, after this life, there's no more suffering. There are no, there are no more problems in the life that is to come. 
And so even while I might still experience these things, whatever they might be, actually don't have to let them bother me so much because I can have peace knowing that I'm bound up into the life of Jesus. And in some way, in some mysterious way, it's actually in the sufferings that I can become more and more like Jesus. Jesus who suffers for you and for me. And so when I suffer in my life, it's like I'm sharing in his suffering. And his suffering, yes, it leads to death. It leads to really crummy feelings. But ultimately, that leads to what? It leads to glory. It leads to the resurrection. And so in a kind of strange way that when I experience sufferings and yet I remain faithful to Jesus, I can do what? I can, I can even thank him for those sufferings. I can thank him, actually, for this difficulty that I'm experiencing because it's in this difficulty that I share in his life, which brings salvation to the world. So anyway, both, both sides of the spectrum are difficult and challenging. And so what I, I simply want to encourage us to do this, this week and moving forward is to pray for each other. And hopefully you already do pray for each other, but to actually pray for each other in a real way. In fact, something that I want to encourage you in a really practical way is I want to encourage you after Mass is over, when we finish our closing song, when Mass is over, I want to encourage you to just kneel down and to pray an Our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be for someone in your life who seems like they're going through a difficult time whether that's a family member, a friend, or if you can't think of anybody, just offer a general petition to God for the next person from our parish who will die. And ask God and the Blessed Mother to pray for that person. Ask God to give that grace for that person so that they can persevere in faithfulness to Jesus to the point of their death. That's something I really encourage. You don't have to do that by any means. But what I do encourage you, actually, is if you don't do it, or even once you're done with your prayer, to still just leave the church in silence so that those who want to pray can do so in silence and peace. And then you can save your conversations for when we, when we get out into the gathering area. That's something I just really encourage. It's so important for us to pray for each other because to live the Christian life, to be faithful to God, it's, it's like this incredible blessing, absolutely, that he comes and establishes this covenant with us. But it can also be difficult and challenging. And yet, with his help and with the prayers of the Christian community, what can happen? He can give us the grace to be faithful. And in that faithfulness, he can give us his peace. And with that peace, nothing can conquer us because we've been conquered by the love of God.